if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. In 2022, throughout most of the Western world, there are few ideas more radically counterculture than the traditional Catholic family. Embracing marriage and being open to new life within that marriage usually results in more than an average number of children at an earlier age. And raising those children within the faith and within the church often means actively rejecting or resisting the influence of the dominant culture. And organizing our lives so that God comes first and Catholic marriage and family comes second necessarily means pushing all of the other values that our consumerist culture prizes so much down our ladder of priorities, which, far too often, will make us look weird or even subversive. Our cultural influencers and elites may, and often do, subject people who make these choices to mockery and scorn. So, why would anyone in 2022 choose to build their life on this model? To find out, I sat down with someone who is right now making that choice and living through all the joys and struggles that come with it. A member of the millennial generation who's chosen an atypical millennial lifestyle. Corey Licatos has joined us before on the podcast. He serves as the Communications and Community Life Director for Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church in Holland, Michigan, and the Communications and Family Ministries Director for the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. Corey, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Greg. I've really enjoyed the conversations we've had on some previous episodes and wanted to bring you back to talk about families and family ministries. And I think you bring some interesting perspective on that. So just to reiterate for those who don't recall or maybe didn't hear your previous episodes, you're a young guy who entered the Catholic Church going on close to six years ago. Mm -hmm. And since then, uh, you've had some children. Yes. And so your children are growing. Uh, You've got three children. And so you're really living a sort of counter-cultural millennial life. Because when we look at the millennial generation, a lot of them are delaying marriage until much later in their lives. When they do get married, they're having very small families. It's a little bit countercultural to raise your children in the church these days. And I know you don't, don't have all the answers because we don't know how what the end of the story is, right? We don't know how the kids are all going to turn out. Just praying about that yeah, a lot. Yeah, we're praying, <laughs> praying about a lot about that. And in full disclosure, I'm God, God parent to one of your children, Godfather to uh, your son. Um, so we're all praying for the kids to turn out right. But I want to just explore some of the challenges that you're experiencing as a millennial, as a member of this generation, 
And in your faith, in raising your family and raising your children, what, what are some of the challenges and opportunities that you're experiencing that? Yeah. Um, it, it can be a challenge at times and, and sort of my, my orbit of friends, I, uh, as I mentioned in an earlier episode I was on, I went to Hope College, and that's a a Christian, an ecumenically Christian um, college. Uh, it's uh, associated with the Reformed Church, but there are, are Christians of a, a wide variety of denominations that that go there. And so, a lot of my friendships, as as with many people, come out of those college years. And and so I've had the opportunity to be friends with a lot of really wonderful. Christian people um, who are making choices that are based on the gospel and on their faithfulness to Christ um, and are um, different from the choices that a lot of other people in our generation are making. And, and so I've been very blessed in that regard. Um, but even even so, um, I have, uh, so I'm I'm 31. A lot of my friends are of similar age, uh, some a little older, some some a little younger. Um, I have three children. My oldest is five. Um, he's older than almost any other children I can think of in, in my friend circles. So we, we started having children earlier by a couple of years. I also have with three, I mean that's that's not a large family um, by today, it, by today's standards. Amer- I, Amer- some some might America, consider it so. Yeah, in twenty twenty. In fact, um, in Europe today, um, yeah. you know, you look at uh, the size of families, even in Catholic nations. I mean, mm-hmm. Italy, I think, has the lowest uh, birth rate of any nation in Europe. One of mm-hmm. the lowest birth rates in the world. And so it's interesting because there's been this massive shift over the last 50, 60 years to smaller families, less children, and then raising children outside the church, even in Catholic, ostensibly Catholic nations. Right, right. So you really are kind of a countercultural, uh, living a countercultural <laughs> dream, aren't you? Um, talk a little bit about what is, let's start with what's hard about that generationally, I mean, some of the things are, that are hard, I'm sure, are just universally Universal, hard. Sure. I mean, when you're your age and you've got small kids, you know, your hands are full and there's diapers to change and, you know, all those kinds of things. But what are some of the challenges specifically of trying to raise a, a Catholic family? Yeah. And, and as you say, some of these things are universal and others will be able to relate. And some of them are maybe more particular to, to me and to where, where I live and, and may not be transferable. But I found that it, it can at times be isolating, mm-hmm. um, both to be um, raising a young family and to be raising them in the church. Um, I, um, don't have like, like my, I grew up with, with, uh, you know, somewhere around 10 cousins or Mm -hmm. or so. I, I don't have that in Mm -hmm. my family, um, for, for my children. Um, at least not yet. And, um, I have some, some friends who have, have children have, have one or two, um, and, and may, they may have more, but, um, like I said before, I had, we started having ours earlier. So there's a sense in which it's, it's harder to feel like you have comrades in arms or people right. who, who are doing the same thing that you're doing at the, yeah. at the same time and can relate. Um, I do have some people like that, which is, which is a huge blessing, but 
I, my perception is that it's to a, a much lesser degree than a lot of previous generations have had where it's like, right. well, I've, I've getting married and having kids and so are my friends and we're all just yeah. kind of doing this together. Um, it's not that that doesn't exist at all, but I think there's a diminished sense of that. Sure. I mean, it's been hard since Adam and Eve, you know, mm-hmm. had Cain and Abel to get woken up in the middle of the night and, mm-hmm. you know, have children. But I, to your point, when everybody on your block is doing the same thing, at least there's a sort of solidarity mm-hmm. and you're sort of living the same cultural model and there's people on either side of you that are going through the same things. Yeah. And, and part of it too is just in in the life of the parish and in our parish, we certainly do have have other families who have young kids or, or even, you know, families who are further along the road than I am and, and have kids who are um, in later elementary school or, or middle or high school. Um, but it, it can feel at times that like I'm sitting in this mass and I'm trying to keep my child from, right. you know, raising his barbaric yawp above, <laughs> above the consecration. Um, and, uh, and I'm looking around and there aren't, you know, th- depending on which mass I'm in, there might be a couple other people right. doing the same kind of thing, but it's, and, and there are other parishes where, where it's different and there, there are a lot more, but, but across the board, there's, there's not as much of that, of that culture and that solidarity right now. Well, I mean, you're raising an interesting point because I would say it's my, by observation and I think data, it's not just the Catholic church sure, that, sure. uh, all churches of every denomination in the United States and, and Europe, Western Europe, at least mm-hmm. are graying, right? So the median age is getting older and older and older. And the number of, as, as the marriage rate drops, people get married later or fewer get married at all. Mm-hmm. And they, when they do, they have fewer children, you know, and just math is math is math. And the median age of the group gets older and older and older. So I don't care if you're at First Presbyterian or, you know, Trinity uh, Lutheran or, you know, Our Lady of whatever, uh, Catholic Church, you're probably, if you've got children looking around at a room full of people that, you know, are in their 50s and their 60s or 70s, mm-hmm. watching you struggle to control your your kids in the back pew. Uh, and that's probably a, a bit of a problem in terms of the kind of support levels that you get from the parish. And I don't think there's anybody, I can speak for the rest of the parish and I, the other churches, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't want to see the children. But it is a little bit isolating probably. Mm-hmm. What are the things that have been helpful for you uh, in raising your children within the church and what things could be better? Sure. Um, so my children are, are just at the very beginning of, uh, of their time engaging sort of formally with the catechetical, um, programs mm-hmm. here at, at our parish. Um, and then my, my son is also old enough to be in preschool at our local Catholic school, which is, uh, co-owned with, with our parish and another parish. Um, and so our experiences um, with with those formal engagements um, have been very good, and, and we're we're excited to to continue with that. Um, our Catholic school has preschool through eighth grade, so I'm looking forward to the kids being able to do that and have the faith and the perspective of the faith integrated with the way that they're they're learning, because I think that's important not not just for um, education, although it, it is, I think you, you can't have a, a full and complete education without that being an integral part of it, um, but also for their likelihood of t- 
taking the faith seriously and, and continuing right. with it. I think the, the influence of school and of peers is demonstrably huge in, in how children grow up and the perspective that they take on their faith. Um, and then I've also um, been been really happy and, and excited about um, the, the catechesis that my oldest is starting to receive at the parish. Um, we have a catechesis of the Good Shepherd program here, um, which I've been uh, really, really pleased with the way that that emphasizes learning prayer and silence and, and reverence before God and also of um, of deeper understanding of the scriptures and of the liturgical cycle of the church. I think all, all of that's really good and important. Um, in terms of positives, other, other positives that I've seen is that we have just personally, we have a, a, a small group that we've uh, been kind of co-hosting um, that we, we in that group are the only ones who have children. Um, there are other people in there that are, are married and don't yet have children. Um, there are single people in our, in our small group and the way that people kind of um, at, at the worst times tolerate our children at the right. best times um, uh, delight in our children and, and are happy to have them there when that's not always the most convenient thing. Right. Um, like a bunch of adults to get together to, to pray and right. to, to support and, and mutually encourage each other in the faith. It, it might be a lot easier right. and more convenient if my five-year-old wasn't trying to, to get you to read him a book at the same time right. or just having a, having a rough evening. Right. Um, but, but the fact that people are, um, are happy, not just willing, but, but happy to include us and, and accept our family, um, at the stage that it's in, yeah. um, is, is a real positive thing and, and has been very helpful and, and encouraging for us. That's fantastic. So when you think about your generation mm -hmm. being a little bit older, but having lived through that season of life, mm -hmm. I would say that probably you're at the hardest age in life and it always has been the hardest age in life since for you know, however many thousands of years, right? Because you're at that age when you've got small children in the house, uh, the demands of those children, not that that's a bad thing, but mm -hmm. they require right. attention and money and effort. Uh, and th you're also at a time in your life when you're trying to build your career, whatever it is that you do. And there's just a lot of pressures and demands that you don't have before you get married and have kids and you don't have when your kids get older and go off to college or whatever and life right. gets sort of easier. But you're right in the you're right in the, the crucible of the hardest season in your life. What's interesting to me is as I look at your generation or I look at people coming up, they've become so afraid of that crucible. They thought, my goodness, I've heard all the stories about the kids and the demands and this and that. And it's just easier to get a dog. Right. Right. And yeah. then I can have my weekends free and I can send the dog to doggy daycare, whatever. And I'm not trying to mock anybody, mm -hmm. but you've made a, a something of a countercultural decision in a world where people aren't doing that. And as a Catholic to do that. What would you say to others? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I've I've kind of uh, grown on this, or, or maybe it would be more accurate to say I'm in the process, or I'm I'm hoping to to grow in this because there's there's part of me for a while that's been nervous about 
you know, having that conversation with people. Cause the last thing I want to be is like my, my kid is throwing the temper tantrum and they can tell that I am, you know, feeling the, the weight of the demands of this, this part of their life. And they're like, oh, well, uh, we're not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's, you're, not, you're not, you're not yeah. selling it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This doesn't look, this doesn't look like something they want to buy. Um, and, and so there's, there's times certainly when I've been hesitant about, about being open and sharing about it. Um, I've tried to move in the direction of being more open about it. Um, I mean, a lot of my, my friends, especially my close friends are, are really wonderful about it because they understand, um, that it's, that it's worthwhile, um, that you don't make a sacrifice for something unless it's better and more desirable than the thing you're sacrificing. Um, and, and, and that I think is the case that has to be made. Um, and that the sort of the onus is on me to show that I am giving up wh whatever it is, you know, sleep, convenience, the ability to, to do things that I, I might want to do because I want to be generous with God, um, in, in my vocation. And I want to be generous towards my children who, who I, you know, they, they wouldn't exist if God hadn't given me this vocation of marriage and hadn't, um, you know, blessed, blessed it with, with children, um, I, that I, um, you know, in, in a mysterious way was involved in God bringing new, new mm. people into the world, new immortal souls, um, that mm. he loves and that he wants to see mm. nourished and loved and brought up to know and, and love him and pray God, um, come, come to, to heaven and, and to, into the resurrection to, to the kingdom with him one day. And, and if that wasn't worth it, then, then yeah, I, you would, you would understand the perspective of, well, that sounds hard. And maybe that's for other people who, right. <laughs> who, uh, you know, have a higher tolerance for, for that kind of thing, but not, not for me. Thank you. And so I, I try to, in my own small way and, and imperfectly to, to articulate that it's, it's a sacrifice of, of things that are genuinely good and, and important freedom and, and convenience and all of those kinds of things that, that I think people, not just my generation, but people in our, in our culture and in our age have been taught to sort of hold up as, as very high goods, perhaps, perhaps the highest of goods, that those are good, but that they are, they are subordinate goods or lesser goods to, to, to sacrificing that they're worth sacrificing for the higher good and that, how to put this, that, that even those lower goods become cheap and easy if, if they become the highest thing in my yeah. life. Well, right. I mean, there's, you know, the good, better, and best. Mm -hmm. And we can, in a lot of that ways in life, we can settle for the good instead of striving for what's better. And, you know, sometimes the heart, the best is the hardest. But I want to stay on this point for a second because you just articulated something I think would be really helpful for our listeners. For those people that are, this is the Considering Catholicism podcast. So if they're mm -hmm. considering Catholicism, you just articulated Catholic parenthood as a vocation mm -hmm. in a way that 
I don't think that we look at parenthood in the broader culture. Sure. Uh, you just articulated something that if you are considering Catholicism, whether you have children now or are considering children in the future, talk about the vocation of the family in in Catholic terms, how you understand that, the vocation of family and parenthood. Absolutely. Um, so vocation is a word that gets used in a variety of ways, um, legitimate and, and looser ways. Um, but when, when I'm saying vocation here, um, I'm referring to um, what people will often talk in, in Catholic circles about a vocation to the priesthood or vocation to religious life or a vocation to marriage and family. Um, and we're talking about vocation in this sense. We're talking about a calling from God, a form that he gives to your life um, in the cases of, of ordination or of marriage, a sacramental um, grace that he gives you um, as a way, as, as sort of a form um, for you to to follow him in and to serve him and to serve others in and and a way that he is using to, to sanctify you and to make you holy um, and to draw you closer to himself and to allow um, you to do to be a part of what he's doing for others, be a, be a part of how he is giving, giving grace and, and, and serving others. And so in, in the context of marriage and family, it's that I am, I am called to, to give myself in service to my wife. Um, and, um, because of the way that, that God has, has designed marriage, um, that, um, if, if there's nothing to prevent it, um, causes there to, to be children that we, that we have and that we have the privilege of raising and that we, we are called to, to love them and to educate them and to teach them about the Lord, um, so that they, um, have, have that as well. So, so vocation in this sense is, is sort of a, a, a mission or, or a, um, uh, I don't want to say template in the sense of like cookie cutter that everyone is the same, but it, it's sort of a, a a form given given to my life so that I I know what I what what God is asking of me and and how I can serve Him and others in in this way. You know, I worked with college ministries, university college students in ministry for on and off for 30 years from when I was the student and came in and started leading Bible studies and then became a leader. And then eventually you and I met through a mm -hmm. student ministry. I think you were then a leader in the student ministry that I had before I entered the Catholic church. The number one thing that students would ask, it, it wasn't what people think. So what college students would ask is not so much about sexual morality or this or that. The number one thing they would ask is, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. I mean, whenever I would do um, nights where I would just do open question night, that was the number one question students would ask. Yeah. How do I know what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life? And you've been using this word vocation. And of course, I know because you're a scholar, uh, uh, you could explain. But, you know, the, the word vocation, English word vocation comes from the Latin word voce, which is voice. It's, right. it's what hearing a voice. It's hearing uh, what you're called to. It's hearing God's voice in your life. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times students or we think that God only, as you said, calls us to certain kinds of things. But one possibility we have to be open to is that God is calling you to be a parent. 
and to be a husband or a wife and to, to raise, a, raise a family and to raise a Christian family or a Catholic family. So how do you, as someone who perceives you have that vocation, how do you live that vocation out yeah. with all the other responsibilities in your life? Absolutely. Um, just just to um, reflect too on what you just said is that I, th- I think it can be immensely freeing um, to people. It, I know it was to me um, when I was at that, that age and that stage in, in college to have this idea of vocation because otherwise you feel like you're just making it all up as you go. Um, and, and that kind of radical um, sort of openness and emptiness to the rest of your life can can produce a lot of anxiety and, and a lot of pressure that isn't necessary. And it, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, the, the sense of vocation or the, the concept of vocation doesn't mean that, you know, God is now just everybody line up and do exactly the same thing right. that it's going to be, you know, boring or, or, or template or, or that kind of thing. But it, it gives form and shape to, to the desires, I think, of the human heart that God has given us to serve and to love and to commit um, to, to others and, and to, to work that otherwise it's, it's rather difficult to, to do. Now, in, in terms of the, the practical question you asked about how do I do that, um, in, in my own family, um, I think it, it starts with with the marriage itself, um, and with, um, and, and of course I'm, I'm not perfect either as a, as a person or as a husband. So I'm always trying to do this better, but of, of seeing my, um, my commitment to my wife as a commitment to her, encouraging her in, in the faith, um, and in, in praying for her and and being there for her to, to help her and mutually back towards me, of course, she she having that role towards me and then trying to to teach and to raise our, our children in the same vein. And so making um, the the practice of the faith a priority, the 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 foundational priority in our life, making sure that we're at mass on Sunday and trying our best um, at this stage that they're, they're able to receive it of explaining to the, to the children why we are there and and what is happening, um, and why it's important. Um, and then in the home, um, trying to make prayer central to what we do. Um, so we've, we've gone through different iterations of it, um, as our children have, uh, have grown. Um, and my oldest is, is only five, so it hasn't been that long, but, as they've grown and as we've um, gotten more experience, but different, trying to to anchor the day in in prayer as a family in the evening in whatever form that may take, and praying with the children at other times and um, something that um, is really important to me and that I think is is of immense value is bringing the um, the calendar of the church and right. the liturgical seasons into what we do as a family. So being really deliberate about observing Advent and Christmas and Lent and, and Easter and and making these things that are that are noticeable and that are felt and that are are significant that, right. that have that have meaning and content rather than just being window dressing yeah. um, in the home 
is is something that I think is really important and valuable for for making it real. Um, we use the word incarnational um, yeah. earlier in our conversation in in another context of putting putting flesh on all of this of of right. helping the children to and and I think just as much us uh, as adults um, walk through the life of Christ um, in the course of the year um, in in the liturgy. Uh, to to understand more deeply each time um, what Christ has done for us and what the incarnation means and and what Christ's death and resurrection means. That's fantastic, Corey. Kind of as we wind this conversation up here, mm-hmm. it occurs to me that there might be people listening to this who are well considering Catholicism. Certainly, and as we said in a previous conversation, there's different sort of doors into the church. Mm -hmm. Some people come through an intellectual path. Some people come through an artistic path or whatnot. But one of the things that strikes me is that people make decisions for the church or against the church when they reach the intersections in life, right? Like you're you're driving down the road and it's like there's these crossroads or intersections or you might call them inflection points. That's sort of a TED Talk word. But you reach these points where you have to decide, am I going to turn left or right or keep going straight? Mm -hmm. And so for some people who might be considering Catholicism, it might be less of an intellectual journey reading, you know, writers or talking about history. might be less of a worship journey, a and it might be I've reached this place in life where I'm going to get married and I've got to decide I'm at a certain age what I'm going to do or I've gotten married and I'm going to have children. What am I going to do? How am I going to raise them? How are we going to live together? How are we going to ground our marriage and our family and our home? Mm-hmm. And at that inflection point or at the intersection, one option that's on the table, one of the menu choices is Catholicism. One thing you could do is choose to be a Catholic family. For somebody who's thinking about that or is at nearing one of those intersections, give a short pitch here as to why they should consider a Catholic vision for their family. Sure. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, it it comes down to what you think the function and the purpose of the family is. Um, if you're coming from a Christian perspective, whether it, whether it's Catholic or not, you're going to see the family um, and your role in it as, as part of God's plan for the world and, and part of him bringing people uh, to himself. And so if, if you're already that far, if you're, if you're a Christian of, of some kind and you're, you're considering the Catholic church, then I would submit that that raising a family in the church is the most complete way of of living out that that purpose and that that fundamental identity of the family, which is to um, to bring more people into knowledge and and love of God, um, and that is. The, the spouses, of course, mutually encouraging each other. That's that's the children, of course. If you have children, these are now new people who who have the opportunity to to know, love, and serve God, and and that you have the opportunity to to encourage and and foster that for them. Um, but also the witness that you have um, that your family is in the life of your parish and and in your 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 broader family, um, your extended family, and and your friends and your community. 
um, that it, it is a sign of um, of what Christ is doing in the earth writ large, that it, that right. it is um, sort of a microcosm, if you will, of, of what God is doing, of God's love and faithfulness right. for, for the whole church and for the whole human race. And you have to decide whether you want to be a part of that or not. Right. And, and just from an experimental standpoint, right, you can look around and see what not raising, grounding your home in that, in the Lord and in the church, what that produces. I mean, I don't think that it's uh, a radical idea to say, look around at society, the further it's moved away from a vision of the family grounded in the church, uh, it hasn't borne great fruit. Sure, yeah. So, you know, I would go back to that thing where Joshua brings the Israelites over the river and says, well, here's the deal. You've got to decide whether you're going to serve the Lord or not. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So there's a vision of serving the Lord through a Catholic family and a Catholic vision of the family. Now, uh, as we wrap up this conversation, we're going to have you back at some point on another episode because one of the things that you do is as one of the directors at the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, you oversee our and develop our curriculum for families. Mm -hmm. And so I'm eager to have you back uh, on a future episode to talk about the kinds of family activities, the kind of curriculum that you're developing that helps fa that help families to create a culture of Catholic learning and growth in the home. So I look forward to bringing you back for that. Absolutely. Thank you, Corey, and blessings on you and your family. All right. Thanks, Greg. We'll get back to the episode in a few moments, but first I want to share with you an ancient principle of Catholicism. While we are saved by faith, true faith seeks understanding. Christ imparts to us a holy curiosity. We want to learn and grow and come to know more and more of God's word, his will, and his works. The Catholic life should be an ongoing journey of discovery. So, if you're enjoying the Considering Catholicism podcast, then join me and other instructors for the next step in this journey by joining the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. Five years ago, we launched the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, or LANE as we call it, to foster a culture of faith-filled, lifelong Catholic learning in hearts, homes, and parishes. As the Dean of Lane, I invite you to join me and its other teachers for a wide range of learning experiences for adults, as well as for children and families. Lane offers structured courses in Catholic topics, both online and in person, as well as seminars, audio and video documentaries, and field trips, both real and virtual. There are already dozens of courses in our library, with new programs being offered all the time. To check out the catalog and schedule, and to learn more about how it works, visit lanecatholic.org. That's L-A-N-E catholic.org, where faith seeks understanding. Our time is winding down. 
But we end every episode by learning and leaning into one of the classic Catholic prayers. For those of you who are considering Catholicism, consider making this prayer a regular part of your relationship with God. Lord, teach us to pray the prayers of the church with all the saints. The last time that we had Corey on, we learned the Glory Be Prayer, which is often called the Lesser Doxology. Today, we're going to learn the Greater Doxology, called simply the Gloria. Now, we usually recite or sing or chant this prayer during the Mass, but not always, but that's an explanation for another episode. So, anyway, if you've attended a Catholic Mass, you've almost certainly prayed this prayer as a part of it. As we saw when we learned the Glory Be, a doxology is a prayer or a song of praise, which is one of the primary purposes of prayer. But there's no reason why this can't be prayed outside of the Mass, because there is no time when it's not appropriate to lift our voice in praise to our Creator, our Redeemer, and our King. The Gloria. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thank you for listening. Considering Catholicism is produced by One Whirling Adventure, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a simple mission, to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. We depend completely on your generous donations. Learn more and consider supporting our ministry by visiting oneworlingadventure.org.